Hello, and welcome back to GemCast. Today, I am joined by Leah Hatfield. Leah, welcome. Thank you. Who is our ED pharmacist, and we're going to be talking about anticoagulation reversal. As you probably know, there are a lot of new oral anticoagulants. We've moved way beyond just the old school warfarin or Coumadin. These are sometimes called NOACs or new oral anticoagulants, but that's kind of an anachronistic name because they're not really that new anymore. I've also seen the terms DOACs or direct oral anticoagulants or target-specific oral anticoagulants. So whatever they are, there's lots of new ones that target different specific clotting factors. And the difficulty is that unlike Coumadin, you can't just give them some vitamin K and FFP to reverse them. So we are going to be talking about each of the specific oral anticoagulants and how to reverse them. Now, this is not a problem specific to older adults, but it is certainly much more highly prevalent in older adults. If you look at the percentage of individuals who are on an anticoagulant or purchased an anticoagulant, in the 18 to 64 age group, it's pretty small, less than about 1%. And this data was from 2007, so it's probably more now, but... In the age group 65 to 74, it's about 5.5% of people have purchased an anticoagulant in that year. And then in the over 74 group, it's over 10%. And this is, of course, because things like atrial fibrillation and valve replacements, etc., are just more prevalent in that age group. Typically, we need to reverse anticoagulation if there's an intracranial hemorrhage or some sort of life-threatening GI bleed or other source of bleeding. Today, let's consider a case of a 70-year-old woman who is on an anticoagulant for atrial fibrillation who comes in after a fall. Typically, these are falls from standing, not, you know, fall off a two-story building, and she has a small intraparenchymal hemorrhage on her CT. She has a GCS of 14 because she's mildly confused and has some amnesia, but no focal deficits. How should we manage this patient in terms of anticoagulation reversal? Let's talk first about the case in which she's just on good old warfarin. We can check her INR and we find that it's three. What should we do with this? Intracranial hemorrhage is arguably the most serious and potentially life-threatening bleeding complication of all of the oral anticoagulants. Even though this patient's GCS is 14 at presentation, and there's no focal deficits, there is a significant risk of expansion of the intracranial hemorrhage, neurologic decline, and then associated morbidity or mortality. So current evidence supports the use of emergent reversal agents in these cases and points to the use of PCCs or prothrombin complex complex concentrates as first-line therapy for emergent warfarin reversal. Currently in the United States, there's both three-factor and four-factor PCC products on the market, And theoretically, the four-factor PCC product has a therapeutic advantage due to the addition of other clotting components such as factor 7, protein C, and protein S. Keep in mind that this hasn't yet been proven in randomized controlled trials. PCCs have a rapid onset of action, and they provide immediate reversal. But you also have to remember to give phytonidione, or vitamin K, as a co-administration in conjunction with the PCC for emergent warfarin reversal. This is because we often forget that as soon as we start replacing clotting factors into the body, the body starts breaking them down again. Vitamin K has a slow onset of action. It takes 6 to 12 hours to start working, so it's not going to provide you with acute emergency reversal, but it does provide you with sustained reversal of anticoagulation by carboxylating or building our endogenous clotting factors. Keep in mind that PCCs are only a bridge until your vitamin K starts to work. 
PCCs are relatively newer medication. They've been on the market in the U.S. for only a few years, and they have been shown to more rapidly reverse the INR. I think there's still some debate about mortality benefit and bleeding cessation. What about hospitals that don't have PCC? So it's the downside is it's very expensive. So not all small rural hospitals who see the same volume as a large inner city or academic hospital will be able to stock it. So what can they do for this patient who has a bleed on Coumadin? You're right. You know, PCCs are expensive and they're also difficult and somewhat time consuming to make, especially if you're in a facility with lower numbers of resources. So in the case of intracranial hemorrhage and other major bleeding, there is some data to support the use of FFP. FFP also replaces clotting factors and must be administered in conjunction with vitamin K. FFP has some downsides, potentially. It does present a larger volume load to the patient. Usually to provide adequate reversal, you're going to need to administer a minimum of four to five units of FFP to replace the same amount of clotting factor as one dose of PCC. And so it may cause a higher incidence of pulmonary complications, such as trally or TACO. There has been one clinical trial to date that was published in circulation in 2013 that directly compared PCC and FFP in patients with major bleeding. There were about 200 patients in the study, and the study showed that PCC corrected INR much faster than FFP and was also faster and easier to prepare. Interestingly, though, there was no difference in 24-hour hemostasis between the two groups, and the death rate was equal in both groups. There was also no statistically significant difference in thrombosis rates between the two groups. Obviously, larger comparative studies are needed, but I think one could argue that the faster preparation and reversal with PCC may have a therapeutic advantage, especially in intracranial hemorrhage. And just to backtrack for a second, trolley is transfusion-related acute lung injury, and TACO is transfusion-associated circulatory overload, so related, but particularly in patients with CHF. One other thing I wanted to ask about reversal with PCC, what INR can PCCs get you down to? So for example, say the patient comes in with an INR of 1.5. Maybe they've been only moderately regularly taking their Coumadin. Mm -hmm. Can the PCC get you below that or is there a hard and fast limit there? So if you administer PCC in conjunction with vitamin K, and that's kind of your trick there, then you can certainly get the the INR below 1.5. And you would still want to administer it in clinical incidences. If you had a patient that's on warfarin and bleeding, and let's say their INR is 1.6, when they come in, you would absolutely still want to administer PCC and vitamin K. And frequently you'll see their, their INR fall all the way back to normal at 1. Now let's consider we have the same patient, the 70-year-old woman who comes in with an intraparenchymal bleed, and she is on Pradaxa, which is a direct thrombin inhibitor. Is there any utility or correlation of the INR with the degree of anticoagulation? Great question. No. So in the case of emergent reversal, there is no utility in measuring INR in patients who are taking Pradaxa. You may see elevation in the INR in response to the presence of dabigatran in the serum, but it's important to recognize that this is an insensitive measurement and it's a nonlinear relationship. So in the case of emergent reversal, it's not a clinically relevant measure of the degree of dabigatran anticoagulation. I'll put in the show notes a table of the generic names and the trade names of all these medications because we will kind of switch back and forth. Pradaxa is dabigatran. And again, it is a direct thrombin inhibitor. So for this patient, what should we give her to reverse her anticoagulation? Ideally, if a patient presents with life-threatening bleeding on dabigatran or pradaxa, you want to administer a new targeted reversal agent called idrisizumab or trade name Praxbind. 
At this point, based on existing evidence, it should probably be considered your first-line agent for reversal. That's because Praxbind is a monoclonal antibody fragment that binds directly to the dabigatran molecule and thereby provides immediate neutralization of the anticoagulant effects of dabigatran. This is an interesting drug to me because it's not like PCC or FFP that is repleting your diminished factors. It's actually binding the drug and then sequestering it. So my question, I actually had this case just a few days ago in a patient who came in with a traumatic bleed on Pradaxa, but his last dose of Pradaxa was about 12 hours prior. So given the clearance, the half-life of dabigatran is about 12 to 17 hours. How long after their last dose would it be considered useful to give the idirucizumab or Praxbind? This is an important consideration. Because idrisizumab is a monoclonal antibody for the dabigatran molecule itself, the drug has to still be present in the serum in order for the idrisizumab to work. So we know that clearance of dabigatran in normal patients is dependent on renal function. So in a healthy patient, the half-life of dabigatran is 12 to 18 hours. This can be prolonged, though, in patients that have decreased creatinine clearance or in those who present in acute renal failure. So what we think is for most patients, idrisizumab is unlikely to be useful if it's been more than 24 hours since the patient's last dose. But for patients with significantly reduced creatinine clearance or those who present an acute renal failure, and we suspect that that might be part of the reason that they're bleeding, consideration should probably be given to using the drug for a longer period of time after the last dose. And what can we do if we work in a place that doesn't have Praxbind? This is, again, another very expensive drug that's going to be used pretty rarely, even in a high-volume ED. So what do we do if we don't have it? Correct. A lot of facilities don't stock Praxbind, mostly due to the cost or the volume of its use. So even though it's currently an off-label use, studies have shown that high-dose PCCs, again, four-factor PCC, can shorten the bleeding time and appear to have some clinical efficacy in dabigatran reversal. It's important to recognize that when we use PCC for dabigatran reversal, clotting parameters such as the PTT and ECT may not normalize, but we do see clinical and therapeutic indications of hemostasis. Also, dabigatran can be effectively removed by hemodialysis, but obviously in the emergency environment, this is logistically challenging and might be more time-consuming in a life-threatening scenario. Now let's consider we have the same patient who's on a 10A inhibitor. So these are things like rivaroxaban or Xarelto or apixaban, which is Eliquis. I don't know why, but I think Eliquis would be a good name for a horse. If I had a horse, I would name it Eliquis. <laughs> I agree. So what should we do in those cases? Is there any utility, again, in checking an INR? Again, there's minimal utility in the measurement of the INR. So an INR greater than 1.5 will tell you something. An INR greater than 1.5 does indicate the presence of oral factor 10A inhibitor activity, but it does not correlate to the degree of anticoagulation as it does for warfarin. Because of this, INR is not really considered clinically relevant in cases of emergency factor 10A inhibitor reversal. What could we do? What's the best way to reverse a 10A inhibitor's coagulation effect? As of today, the best potential agent on the market for factor 10A inhibitor reversal is high-dose PCC. Though, again, it's an off-label use, both animal and human studies have shown that PCCs reverse PT prolongation and are likely effective in achieving clinical hemostasis and factor 10A inhibitor reversal. There is, though, hope of a targeted reversal agent on the horizon in the coming weeks. There's a drug called Andexanet Alpha, which is a modified recombinant factor 10A inhibitor molecule that acts as a decoy protein at the receptor site, 
and provides immediate reversal of factor 10A inhibitor anticoagulation. Phase 3 and 4 trials in healthy volunteers have already been published, and Phase 4 trials in patients with moderate to severe bleeding are ongoing. FDA approval is expected for Andexanet in the coming weeks, and it's quite possible that it may replace PCCs in the near future as the first-line agent for emergent factor 10A inhibitor reversal. And Andexanet alpha is, again, another very targeted reversal agent. It's Mm -hmm. a decoy protein, so it's blocking the receptor site for the 10A inhibitors. So it's important to realize, for example, you can't use Praxbind or iterucizumab on the 10A inhibitors. It's going to have no effect whatsoever, and you'll just have drained $15,000 or whatever it costs. And similarly, you can't use Andexanet for dabigatran reversal because it, again, will have no effect. What about hospitals that won't carry Andexanet? This is important because I think because of the cost and, again, frequency of use, there will be many, many hospitals that will not have Andexanet immediately once it's approved by the FDA. PCC should definitely remain the mainstay or first line for emergent reversal therapy um, for factor 10A inhibitor reversal in these institutions. So we've said PCC can be the first line agent for Coumadin and then currently first line agent for the 10A inhibitors, the rivaroxaban and apixaban and second-line agent for Pradaxa or Dabigatran after Praxbind. What about hospitals that don't have PCC? Because PCC in and of itself is quite expensive and, again, not something you use every single day. Is there any utility to FFP for the, the NOACs? The, obviously, for Coumadin, we've said there is some utility. Will FFP help a patient who has a bleed that's on Pradaxa, Zarelto, Eliquis, these meds? FFP, in theory, could be useful, but it's important to remember that FFP has much lower concentrations of clotting factors in it than PCC, so it's going to require a much greater quantity of FFP to have any sort of clinical effect. It's unlikely to be highly effective for dabigatran or factor 10A inhibitor reversal, but if you have no other agents available, it's certainly worth a shot to provide some opportunity for hemostasis for those patients. One last question I just wanted to run by you. Let's say we have this patient and she's stable. Obviously, if she's unstable, becoming altered, neurodeficits, we're going to treat her everything we have, throw the kitchen sink, all the all the indexinets, the alpha, all these things. What about a small, stable bleed in an anticoagulated patient? Should we go ahead and assume that that's going to worsen and treat them and reverse them? Or should we watch them and see what their clinical course is? That is the million-dollar question in the, in the environment of anticoagulation reversal as it exists right now. And what I mean by that is we don't have a lot of available validated evidence-based medicine to answer which patients are most likely to progress and expand in their bleed or bleed more, or even if there's an association with higher rates of expansion or bleeding based on the type of anticoagulant the patient is taking. So what most um, practitioners or most folks that work in reversal a lot recommend at this point is it really should be taken on a case-by-case basis. If the bleed is stable and it is in a compartment or a location that is not associated with high morbidity and mortality, so for example, not an intracranial hemorrhage, it's probably fine to watch the patient or intervene with other standard measures. So for example, a mild to moderate GI bleed, completely appropriate to use fluid and blood products and not proceed immediately with reversal. For patients with intracranial hemorrhage, there's probably a higher likelihood of associated morbidity and mortality if the bleed were to expand. So in those cases, it may be pragmatic to go ahead and just reverse the patient. Mm -hmm. 
And that's been my clinical practice because I certainly have seen these small bleeds that are barely a blush you can almost not even see on the CAT scan. And then in the course of hours, it, it progresses. And so we tend to be pretty aggressive early. But then I've also seen my recent patient who was transferred to me who had a stable bleed on Pradaxa. And again, that was Pradaxa, not Coumadin. And of course, we haven't really talked about Plavix, which there was this interesting paper a few years ago that I'll put in the in the references about patients coming in with head injury. The patients who were on Plavix had a higher incidence of bleeding than the patients on Coumadin. And obviously, that is a platelet inhibitor. One point, they were recommending that you give platelet transfusions to these patients, and then now that's kind of eased off. Do you have a sense of what the recommendations are currently? So patients who present on antiplatelet therapy can be some of the most challenging to deal with in terms of emergency reversal. And um, interestingly, anecdotally, I would say that I personally see more patients with life-threatening bleeding on antiplatelet agents currently than I do on almost any of the other oral anticoagulants. And you're right, there's been a flux back and forth in, in available evidence base to say maybe we should give these patients platelets. Maybe we should give them other blood products. Maybe we should try to proceed with surgical intervention. The long and the short of it is there's absolutely nothing that's been proven to be clinically effective in clinical trials. And the outcome's been been mixed when we've even tried platelets for these patients. The unfortunate part is, to date, there aren't currently any targeted reversal mm-hmm. agents in development for the antiplatelet a- agents. So hopefully that's an area where we may see some, some drug development and research in the future. Well, Leah, thank you so much for breaking down this kind of complicated area with a lot of new drugs, a lot of new reversal agents, some that are not even quite out yet. And so we look forward to watching this progress and see how things change. Hopefully we will have some new meds at some point for things like Plavix or even aspirin. So thanks for being on GEMcast. Thanks for including me. It's a fascinating and rapidly evolving topic. I'm going to do a quick summary. And since we're talking about reversal, I'm going to go in reverse, starting with antiplatelet agents. Patients who come in with a bleed on clopidogrel, Plavix, or other antiplatelet agents, unfortunately, you would think that giving platelets might help, but it doesn't really seem to help. And in fact, I put a link in the show notes to an article in The Lancet published this year, 2016, that reported on the PATCH trial and showed that platelet transfusion was actually inferior to standard care after a spontaneous intracranial hemorrhage associated with antiplatelet agents. So not really much you can do by way of reversing these specific drugs. Moving on backwards to the factor 10A inhibitors such as rivaroxaban, Xarelto, apixaban, Eliquis, and then others that I haven't seen as much like Adoxaban or Saivasa. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce that one. It sounds like a yoga pose. Saivasana? No, I think it's Saivasa. In any case, the reversal agent of choice, if you have it available, is Andexanet Alpha. If that is not available, then PCCs are probably your next bet. Keep in mind that the drug has to be present in the system for the Andexanet Alpha to be effective, and I have put the half-life of the drug in the show notes in a table. Moving on further back in time, we talked about Dabigatran, which the trade name is Pradaxa, and this is a direct thrombin inhibitor. Reversal agent of choice would be Praxbind or Idorosizumab. In the absence of that, PCC would be your next bet. And then going back all the way to good old warfarin, brand name Coumadin, this is a glutamine transferase 
inhibitor that prevents production of factors 2, 7, 9, and 10. So the treatment for this is vitamin K plus PCC or if you don't have that, FFP. PCC is typically used if the INR is greater than 1.5. Just make sure while you're giving your fancy PCC or FFP that you don't forget the vitamin K because as Leah mentioned, the PCC or FFP is really just a bridge until the vitamin K kicks in and your liver starts producing those factors for itself. Hopefully this has been useful to you. If you have any comments, feel free to leave it on the website. Connect with me on Twitter at GemPodcast. And then, of course, the website for the show notes, etc. is GemPodcast.com. And you can subscribe on iTunes if you aren't already. Thanks a lot. See you next time.